Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan-funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on-location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers, or retailers, or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at patreon.com slash simplystogies. Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shoutouts on the show and social media, a monthly virtual herf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies podcast. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. Last week, I promised you guys a surprise that I would have someone here uh, from the cigar industry, and uh, I, I do, and I'll get to that him in just a second. He's here. He's waiting. He's live. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic uh, conversation. I, I talked with this gentleman last week, and it was a, it was a great, productive conversation. So I'm looking forward uh, to sharing some of the things that they're doing with you guys, uh, especially during uh, the difficult times that we're going through right now. But before I do... Make sure you head over to creativebraincandy.com and check out some great shows from Creative Brain Candy. Right now, uh, Smoking and Drinking in Space, which kind of feels a little self-serving since I'm on that podcast as well. Uh, myself, Jason, and Rob, we're finishing up the uh, Star Trek Picard series. So make sure you check that out as uh, the day this episode releases is the day the season finale releases. So make sure you check it out, creativebraincandy.com and all the other great podcasts we have over there. Bad Gamers Anonymous, Simply Stogies, Smoking and Drinking in Space, and Drunkenomics. Now, my special guest, uh, Dan Thompson from McAuliffe Cigars. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with me and have this conversation. Hey, thank you so much. I'm just delighted to be here with you. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about what you're doing with, with your podcast, and uh, I, look, I look forward to getting to speak with you and your audience. Uh, well, we're very excited to have you, uh, and we're honored that you you took the time out of your busy day. And I know that things are are going nuts right now everywhere. So I'm I'm very thankful that you uh, continue to to keep the promises that you made in the open letter. And we'll we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But I want first I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. You and I, like I said earlier, we had a conversation last week, and it was a great conversation. I thought it was very productive. I feel like you and I are on the same page on a lot of different things. So. I want to give our, our audience a, a chance to get to know you personally, Dan. How long have you been smoking cigars? Hey, James, thanks for asking. 
I uh, I probably had my first cigar, and you know, it's one of those things that just burns into your brain and becomes uh, starts you on this journey. Uh, with my father and his friends, as we were out hunting in West Texas, and it was something that I got to do, you know, kind of as a step into manhood and enjoy something that the older men were doing and uh, have that friendship and bonding with them. I could tell you it was Hoya de Nicaragua, which is a very old brand. Uh, they're incredible manufacturers. And as I began to smoke, and uh, once I turned 18, I would go to, to the bars with friends. They were all smoking these nasty little cigarettes. And I just equipped myself with cigars. And I don't know, 25, 30 years later, I'm delighted to be working in the industry. That's a, a product that every time I've had a great event in my life, cigars have usually been there. It's just been a fantastic journey and something that's, that's been with me from an early age. And so many incredible memories were built and uh, cigars were a common theme. Wow, that's awesome. So you've been smoking for, for quite a while. You, you told us what your first cigar was. I know you're smoking something right now. What are you smoking? I'm smoking a McAuliffe Medallia. There's probably three cigars that I smoke on a regular basis. The McAuliffe Matafina, which is in our Bold series. The Connecticut, which is in our Legacy series. And the Medallia. And the Medallia is probably a two-to-one ratio to everything else. It's just, for me, whether it's a morning or evening or daytime cigar, it's absolutely my favorite blend in our portfolio at McAuliffe Cigars. Nice. Uh, I really, I like the Medallia. I also like the, the, the Connecticut a lot. The Connecticut was the first cigar that I got the buttery, uh, flavor note from that buttery. Yeah, absolutely. I, that one I, it was it ingrained in my brain. Uh, cause I, it's like, wow, I actually am tasting something. I'm getting that, that flavor note that, uh, I hear people talk about all the time and I'm like, you're crazy. There's no buttery note. And then sure enough, <laughs> the McAuliffe Connecticut comes along and there it is. So you've like yeah. you're so you're the president of McAuliffe Cigars. You're the president of of McAuliffe overall. Like, and they're in a, to a lot of different things. But what did you do before you got into the cigar industry? So you've been a cigar smoker, but you have a you were doing other things before you you hooked up with McAuliffe. Yeah, so I kind of have a funny career path. You know, if you roll back to the late '80s, early '90s, I went to college and got a chemistry degree. Thought I was going to go into medicine. At that time, there were so many questions around, is medicine going to be socialized? And it turns out 25 years later, the same questions are happening. But uh, I decided to go to work for a company called Microsoft. Uh, and I just took the, any job that would get me in the door and ended up having a 20-year career where I grew from just a ground-level employee to general manager, where I had teams in 27 different countries at one point. So it became just an incredible adventure. Uh, had a rule. I wouldn't date anybody at Microsoft because I was a, you know, executive there until I met my wife and uh, broke that rule. And, <laughs> you know, 90 days later, we were married. So I wasn't dating anybody. We were just married. And, uh, you know, the that's rest a, is history. It was an amazing place to grow up. That's a, that's a good way to get around that loophole of not dating anyone in the company. You just marry them. <laughs> Yeah, you just marry them. And people thought we were crazy. They're like, how can you make a decision like that so fast? And I said, you know, when it's right, it's right. And 
we're uh, we're going to celebrate our 14th anniversary this year. So, well, congratulations! It's uh, it's fantastic to have somebody that you love, especially in these kind of unusual days where we're quarantined at home. It's uh, it's a great place to be able to go back to and uh, enjoy each other and enjoy smoking on the patio together. Yeah, absolutely. I wish my wife smoked. Like we we agree on a whole lot of other things, and so I don't mind being quarantined at home with her. Uh, I just wish she smoked cigars because then. It's a perfect opportunity, perhaps, to, to introduce her to something. I have tried, Dan, uh, and then <laughs> <laughs> that ship is not going to ever sail, ever. Okay, I understand. I understand. <laughs> so, how did you? But we're going to wish you the very best. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, how did you get started with McAuliffe? Then, so how did you 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 went from Microsoft to McAuliffe, and now cigars? What did that look like? Well, I'll be really open. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty personal story. 20 years at Microsoft, I, I spent three weeks on the road. Two of those weeks were in Asia or Europe or Latin America, uh, another week in Seattle and a week at home. There's a lot of toll that goes on you. Um, I've got a fantastic marriage. We have a good life. Um, at the end of that period, both my wife and I had parents who got sick with cancer. And uh, I decided that it was time to put family over uh, executive work. Uh, Microsoft was a great partner in that. So I went from running some giant organizations to a team of 10 or 12 people. And uh, I really got to spend two or three critical years at the end of my career with Microsoft uh, focusing on family. I'm uh, very grateful for that. And after, after uh, my father and her, her mother passed, I uh, did a lot of self-reflection. I decided, you know, this is a good kind of halftime point in my life and that I really wanted to focus on business that has a higher impact in different communities. Uh, it's not just about dollars and cents. And so I retired from Microsoft and I retired with the plan to take some time off, just kind of do a little healing amongst ourselves and our family. And during that time, I, I had been serving on the board of directors for McAuliffe Cigars for my, with my friend Al McAuliffe. And, you know, he had started this great company. The startup for McAuliffe Cigars is, is very interesting. If you know Al McAuliffe, he's a serial entrepreneur. He loves building businesses. And, you know, he builds businesses with people who have different expertise because nobody, nobody knows everything. So Al just has this pattern, you know, whether it's his restaurant businesses or silicon manufacturing or his, his ranches and oil and gas, he's in all of those businesses, but in partnership with different people. And Al and I were downtown one day, uh, smoking at our favorite lounge, and the uh, Gomez Sanchez family came in, they had a broken van, and they asked if they could roll some cigars for money. And as we met them, Al, Al ended up placing an order, because he's, he's not hesitant to take a bet on somebody he doesn't know, see if it pays off and can grow into something larger. And those original cigars that they rolled for Al are now what we call the Reserva, which is what I would call our celebration cigar. It's at the top of our portfolio. And a business relationship was formed with the Gomez Sanchez family. Um, And I'm sitting on the outside watching it as a board of director member, you know, and Al acquired a factory in Esteli for the business. So it was growing, but definitely a startup. And as I had retired, Al and I were spending some time together. 
And he asked me, he goes, hey, could you just come out and help me for a couple of days? I said, no problem. <laughs> well, <laughs> a year later, <laughs> uh, I, I'm now the president of the company. Al and I have had a 20-year friendship, and uh, it's a really interesting point. He's got a son, Michael, who runs the restaurant business, and Michael does an incredible job. His daughter, Amanda, has joined me as my marketing vice president. She was a marketing exec in L.A. for 20 years. She's brilliant. And the other sister, Sarah, is out selling and doing special events. So I, I feel a lot of love being incorporated into their family and helping run their, fa their family business into cigars. So it's, it's a pretty amazing story. It is. It's a, it's a fantastic story. I love how, how McAuliffe Cigars started. It is such a, a, a great start to a, a great company. And I want to I talk about a little bit about how you've grown and how quickly you have grown because this is a family owned business. It was a small startup and now you guys are, are everywhere. Well, we're not everywhere yet, but we're certainly working on it. Um, <laughs> you know, when you start a business, it's a lot of fun because you, it's crazy. You are, are building cigars and the thing that Al knew and as an outside director, I'm like, we got to nail quality and consistency. And so in the first year or two, Al made an incredible investment. You know, when I bring retailers into the distribution center here and they see our humidors that we have, they're just blown away at the amount of inventory that we have stocked for the next couple of years. We really believe that it's important because we're in other businesses that when you're in business, you don't want your retail partners to hear that you're back ordered because it's not fair to them. If they're betting on you, you want to have their back. And so as it went from a startup and, and was growing, we were actually able to grow through Salesforce and some distributors. And we made some decisions. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute when we talk about our letter. Um, we made a lot of decisions to grow fast. And we're actually in about 400 stores as, as you count them around the country. Um, just being self-critical, I think that um, sometimes when you grow really fast like that, maybe you don't do the foundational relationships that you want. And uh, so we're making up for that now as we're working on really scaling up our business instead of starting up our business. And that's, a, that's an area that my expertise at Microsoft as a leader really come into play is you make that transition and you want to make sure you kind of have the, the capabilities in the business, whether it's on your production or your sales execution operation or your marketing, where you're thinking different and you're, now we're really playing the long game. And uh, we're, we're excited about the friends that we've built in the industry. And we love our consumers and ambassadors. And we're committed to long game for them and bringing these cigars that are really crafted in a Cuban tradition by the Gomez Sanchez family. This is interesting, Dan, as you're, as you're sitting here and you're, you're telling me about the business side of it. it. It hits me that this is really the first interview that I'm doing with somebody from the business perspective. A lot of the guys that I have on that I interview are blenders, they're artists, even though they don't want to be called artists in, in most, in some instances, and they're, they're very much hands-on. This is in, in the blending process is what I mean. They're hands-on in the blending process. Sure, for, you, sure. for, for you, this is, this is a business. This is the business side of things. So from that perspective, do you remember when, when you looked at something and you went, wow, this is going to take off now? Well, I think there were two, two critical milestones, maybe three. 
The first was when we met the Gomez Santos family initially. And I'll describe the cigar that he wanted. He went through some of the cigars that he was smoking. And he said, but I really want this taste. And when the Gomez Santos family was able to take that feedback from somebody who's not a tobacco expert and produce a product that we love now, we went, okay, there's something to this. But you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So kind of the next milestone was, well, what could we do portfolio-wise? And and truly, the genius was the Gomez Sanchez family in that they said, we're going to roll things that we've been rolling in our family for 50, 60, 70 years. And so we made a decision really early on that we're not going to chase trends. I know that there's some cool cigars out that are, you know, fire cured or barrel cured. That's, that's not our thing. We're, we're very traditionalist in our flavor profiles. And the second milestone that they hit, which was kind of a wow moment, was we got this portfolio, but then we filled up our, our humidors here at the distribution center, and every cigar tastes like it's supposed to. Now, it's a handmade product, but we brought some manufacturing expertise that we know from our other businesses about draw testing and quality control. And so I really know when you purchase a Macau cigar, it's going to cut and draw well. Now, sometimes there's a flaw in the product, but I talk to almost 2,000 ambassadors on Facebook every week, and quality issues are not a problem that we have today. So that was a big aha moment. What you're saying is is that all of the other business uh, experience that you guys have, you are bringing to the table here, and it's helping the business grow. That, that's exactly right. Being a, you know, the Gomez Santos family, they didn't have the capital or the business acumen to build sales organizations, think about distribution channels, supply chain. They're masterful in their art of blending, you know, and I told you there were three points that I was going to highlight. The third one is when we went to Magdalia, which is what I'm smoking right now, but she's the matriarch of the family. And we said, Magdalia, what's the blend that you roll for yourself and you love. And, you know, it turns out that there's this amazing story where she was a highly acclaimed and decorated roller in Cuba before they had to flee. She was actually sent all over the world doing rolling exhibitions on behalf of Castro. And so we have this, this lady who's the matriarch of the family. And when we asked her what blend she would roll that she loved, and I tasted the first medallia, I went, okay, this is awesome. They can blend what we think that we want. They, can, they had their family practices that go on for now. They're starting the fourth generation. And, you know, somebody like Medallia bringing these family core blends that taste different than other things on the market. It's, it's just amazing. And, you know, Al and I can bring together all these business practices that we know about sales, marketing, how you do that. To, to really help both families succeed together. So how big is the portfolio now? So I, I, I kind of answer that, maybe it's inside baseball talk, but the way that we look at it, we have uh, 15 blends. 10 of those are in what we call the legacy line. Five of those are in the bold line. Uh, the legacy line was the uh, original starting point from the Gomez Sanchez family. We uh, built the bold line. Uh, based on a, a little lower price point in the market and flavors that people who smoke every day, as Americans, uh, 
the smoker population likes it a little stronger, a little spicier. So that's what the Bold series does for us. And then when you count Viatolas or specific shapes, I believe that we're uh, standing at 46 now. So 15 blends, 46 Viatolas. Wow. So you guys have grown quite a lot and you just keep growing. And with that growth comes innovation. And you've talked about that a little bit already, where you bring in your experience from outside of the cigar industry and you're kind of shaking things up by doing so. And I want to talk about that a little bit with the open letter that you guys uh, released earlier this year. And in that open letter, and I've talked about your open letter several times on the podcast and I'll, I'll link uh, to it again in the show notes for any listeners who haven't had a chance to read it. It's a great read. You should absolutely check it out. You make promises to your retail partners. You make promises to your consumers and you make promises to the cigar industry as a whole. I've seen open letters from other cigar companies, but I don't think any of those letters really address anything that you guys have addressed. This was like the first, almost one of a kind in the cigar industry. Well, first of all, we're very humbled by your feedback and we're humbled by the feedback that we've received from retailers, consumers, and other people in the industry. Um, We recognize that we're entering an industry that was built on the shoulders of other giants and we're humbled by the help they have provided us. And we're delighted that we can compete and bring our own point of view and perspective to the game. But when you start up a company, sometimes it's a little messy. You know, you do deals that maybe you regret later. I regret that we have a couple online sites that sell our cigars below the published price point. That hurt our brick and mortar partners. We, We really sat down. PCA last year was the kind of the galvanizing point. We feel like that's a, a show that makes a lot of sense for the industry. As a family-owned business, I have the luxury as a leader that I don't have to plan quarter by quarter. I can actually lay out a, a, a long game, a three-year plan. And while Al and I were at PCA, we just said, you know, this isn't going to be what serves us best. And we decided that we were not going to go to PCA. Well, once you make that decision, boy, you better start getting sharp about what decisions you're about to make. Because some people will say, can you not afford it? You know, why not going? So after we left PCA, that's, that's when we really did some deep thinking uh, in the fall of last year that, that became the open promise letter that we published. And maybe, maybe I can walk you through a couple of key points that as a leader, how I see it and how I think it'll play out and uh, the impact it has for the yeah. different uh, stakeholders. Yeah, no, I think it'd be great to get your perspective uh, of, of the letter and how you guys, like, just walk us through the process. So we knew after PCA last year that we needed to focus our strategy and think about what's the real long game for us. So the first thing that we lay out in the letter that when we think as leaders, we're going to be completely transparent. And the prioritization that we're going to have is we're going to think about the people that work for us first. We have to make sure that people who bet their livelihood or their family's livelihood on Macau Cigars, that we're thinking about the employees in our factory, we're thinking about our sales team. Um, when we get to the coronavirus, you'll, you'll see us talk about the decisions we made. Um, second, we were committed to our retail partners, and then third, the customers. And sometimes people say, how can you prioritize your employees, and then your business partners, and then your customers? And, and the reason's really simple. The livelihood of employees and retail partners count on us executing. Now, we, we, our customer is the most important thing on the 
consumption side of our business. They have to love our products. But when we're thinking about it, we want to make sure that the people who have skin in the game with us every day and they're operating their livelihood on us, that, that that's who we prioritize. And so out of that, we came out with kind of a big audacious goal. And we said, hey, 10 years from now, we want Macau Cigars to be considered one of the top 10 partners with every retail B&M that we work with. You know, we know that there's legends, the Fuentes and the Patrons and the Davidoffs. And, you know, we want, we're not going to be that company. But when you talk to somebody who owns a brick and mortar, we want them to say, you know what, McAuliffe, they were a boutique brand, but they're one of our top 10 partners because we love working with them. We love how they care about our employees and how they care about our customers. Well, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of want to let's just start with the retail side of it. And I want to go through the, Absolutely. The, the promise that you made to your retail partners. Uh, so your emphasis is going to be on brick and mortar shops from the profits to, uh, of the store owner to the relationships uh, with the employees, they are your focus now. And that's that's uh, a big part of why you pulled out of PCA because now you can take the money that you were spending each year on that and you can move it towards that kind of focus. And you, Yeah, you're you, exactly right. And you lay that out uh, when you say to move our investment from trade shows to retailers, resulting in increased introduction of product and sales uh, through events and promotions. Uh, and you're committed to price protection uh, and will consolidate online sales to support brick and mortar shops while still supporting customers where there's no alternative. And that's for me, Dan, that's a big one because I've said before on the show that I am in, on an Island. There is uh, the, the nearest shop to me is an hour and a half away. And the nearest shop that sells McAuliffe is two hours away. So for me to get McAuliffe on a uh, consistent basis, a lot of my sales are online. And so, when you when you are doing brick and mortar, and I'll be honest, the the Facebook group, the Ambassador Facebook group, is a godsend to guys like me. Especially when you talk about the, I think I mentioned on the the last show the the to be named uh, Maduro that you just brought out that you're having the ambassador's name. I can't get that anywhere, <laughs> and so uh, they they post it up. Hey, this is where you can get it. The shops will send it to you. You, you call them, uh, you know, they may not do online sales, but you can call them, they'll process the sale and they'll, they'll ship it out to you. So it's been a godsend in that, that regard. And so walk me through like some of what you're doing right now. Um, and I don't like the COVID-19 stuff, right? That is really messing with a, a lot of people's livelihood and a lot of people's business. And how are you guys supporting retail partners now? Cause I know you guys are doing a lot of things. I know I just like through a lot of stuff at you, Dan, but walk me through some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So when we laid out the promise to our retail partners, you shared the, the key points and all of those points become action plans in our business so that we can measure, are we doing the things that we say we're going to do? Um, I'm just going to recap how I think about them really quickly. We're going to be, our, our business model is brick and mortar centric. We believe in that because they're the people who fight the fight every day to make sure that smoking cigars is legal. So we have to invest and make that our priority. Um, we have to be honest with them that we're going to do online sales. Uh, six months from now, it's going to look different than it looks today um, because we have to do price protection. But we uh, know that customers aren't always close to a brick and mortar. So it has to be a both and conversation, not an either or conversation. So we'll do brick and mortar and online. 
but we will change the landscape of our online. Uh, it may be the second half of this year. Um, and the third point that, that we think about every day is how do we help these stores um, effectively either build new revenues around McAuliffe or ways for them that a, you know, a dollar spent on McAuliffe product for them becomes a better investment than on another brand. So in today's world, uh, you know, it's, it's a terribly difficult time when everybody's under self-quarantine, there's uncertainty. I love what we get to do in the Ambassador Facebook page because together we have a really great community of people. I, I love the fact that it's a, a respectful community. Um, you know, some people sometimes have tried to do something that's like, you know, maybe inappropriate pictures of women or something like that. And I love how the community comes together and says, hey, this is a great place where we really get to have fun. We get to focus on the McAuliffe brand and, a, and it's crossing over into real world relationships. Um, it, it's become an amazing life of its own. Uh, we launched the new McAuliffe Maduro to be named on the first anniversary. Um, and we, we like to think of our ambassadors you know, there's not just some like focus group. Rather, we want to move from being able to communicate with them and them to communicate with us to collaborate. You know, I, I think that I had shared with you uh, offline that we bring the Facebook discussions into our boardroom when we're meeting. And we look at it and we go, hey, what topic has somebody weighed in? You know, are we, are we getting positive feedback on this? Are we getting critical feedback on that? What do we need to do? And so it's kind of like having one of your customers or ambassadors sitting in the meeting with you. That's what's happening in that ambassador forum. But when we go back to our retail partners, we realized that this is a difficult time. And while we've, we've built this like platform of ambassadors, and so we've kicked off a series of special content so that while we're at home, you could be running your McAuliffe Madness bracket where people have weighed in on our portfolio and just like March Madness, the competition, we're right in the middle of it and we're looking to see which cigar will emerge as the winner as the, uh, the bracket evolves <laughs> right. in McAuliffe Madness. The second thing that we've done and I, I'm really excited about it, I don't feel threatened by other cigar companies because we're going to focus on what we know. So we've started bringing in guests from around the cigar industry and and we're doing programming you know maybe it's once a day maybe it's every two days but we wanted to bring in guests from other companies and talk to them about how they see the cigar industry and the reason we wanted to do that is we wanted to be able to say hey i, I i'm a davidoff smoker also um i'm a, I'm a florida minaconica smoker just like you guys as ambassadors and so we thought it would be really cool to be able to bring in guests from around the industry and do some interviews while we're at home and have some kind of cool content to watch. And I, I hope that they're enjoying that. And, and then as a third thing, we're, uh, we're spinning up the software and we're going to do some virtual hearse. And, you know, I don't know how all this will work out, but, you know, we're learning and we're improving and we're collaborating as an ambassador community. Uh, so it's very exciting to do that. Um, and with this community, one of the things that bubbled up, because we have some of our retailers who are there also, they're, they're welcome to be, you know, they, they reached out to us and said, Dan, 
these are difficult times. We can't have people in the stores. We're doing uh, sales to go. What do you guys think? And so we, we regrouped really quickly as a leadership team. And we said, you know what? Let's create a program with the retailers who are interested, you know, people who really push our whole portfolio and they, they have a constituency of customers. And what we want to be able to do is for that retailer, you know, they may have five, 10 facings in our store, but right now we're running a program where they can sell any facing they want to their customer. And we just drop ship it from the distribution center. Wow. And it's a, it's a huge win for the customer. It's a huge win for the retail shop because it allows us to, to get the product and investment that we have here in our distribution center directly to the customers. And for the retail partner, it lets them continue growing and accelerating sales in a difficult business environment. So, you know, we're just, we've dipped our toe into this model. We don't know where it's going to go, but we think in, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's desperate times because I, I don't feel that way. I feel very confident about, you know, the people in America. I mean, we're great at helping each other. It just made sense to us. We promised retailers we want to be the best partner. So that's what we're going to do. And if they want to sell boxes they don't have in their inventory and let us just drop ship them, we're going to do it for them. That's huge. That's huge for retailers, especially right now with, with COVID-19 uh, going on. That is, that, that's such a fantastic thing to do. It shows faith in your retailers and the retailers having faith in you. And it gives some goodwill on both ends, I think, uh, while this is going on. And I think that really goes to your promise to retailers in, 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 in trying to support them and really bringing the focus to brick and mortar and, and, taking it away from the trade show. Now I think the trade show is great and all, if it happens this year, we'll see with COVID-19, I, they say it's going to happen. I, maybe it's pushed back. Who knows? But I think this is such a great thing for the industry. Again, like I said at the beginning, you're really shaking things up and you're doing things differently than what has been done in the past. You're really kind of changing the status quo. Yeah, James, we come from different industries. And the beauty of that is we've seen solutions work in other places. So we want to bring our experience to the industry. We're not trying to patent this model. If it works for other stores, I, I, we have conversations with uh, other manufacturers. If it works for them, maybe it's a better way. But we're going to focus on what we can control. And that fifth bullet point to our promise to retailers is that we'll develop innovative retail partner Macau Cigar revenue models. And so our retail brick and mortar friends, they're in, a, they're in a difficult position right now. And if we can help them by some innovative ordering and shipping and serving their customers better, we're going to move fast and we're going to do it. It may not be perfect the first week or the second week, but if we're going to do this six weeks from now, I can tell you it's going to be a good program. Absolutely. And we're okay that we're going to learn and grow together because it's about focusing on the right things. Yep. I, I, I absolutely 100% agree. And which is why I wanted to have you on Dan, because there's a lot of good things that you guys are doing in the industry. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. So You've already kind of walked us through a lot that you're doing with the ambassadors for uh, <laughs> while COVID 19s going on, uh, but all that goes to, the, <laughs> to your promise to consumers, and I love it because there's always something new. You're definitely uh, using technology to your advantage during the time where we have to be social distancing, um, but there are there are other promises that you made to consumers as well. A broad portfolio crafted in the traditional Cuban art, uh, artisan techniques with quality and consistency. 
Uh, strike a positive balance between value and price for every cigar. Uh, your favorite blends will be available in your local brick and mortar shop. Um, grow the investment in the ambassador McAuliffe program, which is, I just, it, it is such a grassroots thing to do that I can't think of any other brand that's done it. Like every, like their brands have, have their cult following, right? So you've got your tat guys, you've got your, uh, foundation guys, you, like it doesn't matter. You've got your Arturo Fuente guys, but a brand ambassador is different. It's just you're part of something bigger than yourself, all in the name of, I like McAuliffe cigars. So can you maybe walk me through, like, how did this, who, whose brainchild was this? Because it's such a great idea. So again, we're, we're really simple people. <laughs> <laughs> we know that the best way to get somebody to try a McAuliffe cigar is when a friend recommends it to you or just gives you one. And so when we started with that premise in mind, we thought every brick and mortar has a group of guys who influence other people in the brick and mortar. What can we do to grab their hearts and their minds and provide them special access and content and collaborate on things so that they would want to share with their friends and recommend McAuliffe cigars. And that became the ambassador program. And when we launched it, uh, we kind of had a couple of missteps, a little miscommunication, uh, but we got people into a Facebook group. James, it's amazing. We have, we probably have 3,500, 3,800 ambassadors. Um, about 40% of those don't participate in the Facebook because they're guys who aren't into technology, guys or ladies who aren't into technology. And we love those people because they're in the brick and mortar and they love our product and they, they talk about it. When people get the most benefit out of it, they join us in the Facebook group. And in that group, we, we have right at 2,000 ambassadors. And I read the data every day from Facebook, how many people are active in our private group. And we run right at 91 to 92%. And we've done that for over nine months. So wow. sometimes you catch lightning in the bottle. I, you know, I don't think it's anything that we did, but we said, hey, let's create this community together. And we've kind of developed some norms and standards in the community. We like to celebrate. We like to show what we're smoking. We like to connect with each other. You know, now we're kind of moving from just kind of connection and celebrating to collaborating on naming a new cigar. Uh, several other things in the pipeline over the next two years are already on the books. So. I don't know how the groups run their, their whatever product-related uh, groups. I, I'm not familiar with them. I, I just know what, what we're creating with our ambassadors to be kind of the McAuliffe ambassador way. And uh, we're incredibly proud of it. And it's how we make decisions. You know, we listen to those guys. It's how we develop sales leads. Somebody says, hey, I've got this great brick-and-mortar shop. Our salespeople, they take that. And with the ambassador, they call on the owner. So in so many ways from our product quality to future product decisions to how we operate the business, um, our ambassadors have skin in the game with this. And we love it. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a great group. Uh, I invite you. I think I, I put this on the last podcast. Go to uh, McAuliffe uh, Cigars, uh, their website. Uh, is it McAuliffeCigars.com? 
I don't have it pulled up right. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's on MacaulayCigars.com, and then you go to the brand ambassador link, and you can register. It's free. Once we have your information, uh, we we prepare a certificate and a challenge coin, and we send that to you. And then uh, you can come into our Facebook group. Sometimes there's a little delay as we're validating to make sure that we actually have real ambassadors. We validate them, and then we bring them into the community. And uh, some people like to have a really active role, and they post a lot. Some people like to comment a lot. Um, other people prefer to just kind of read and surf through it. And, and we need that diversity of approaches to, to have a successful, healthy community. Absolutely. I am a lurker. That's what I, I, I surf. I read. Uh, I rarely interact. But there are some really great conversations that go on in there. If you're not a McAuliffe ambassador, check it out, McAuliffeCigars.com. It's free, like you said, and that your challenge coins are sexy. I'm just going to say it. I love it. They're great. And take them to McAuliffe events. When things start getting back to normal and the, the events are happening, you take them to a McAuliffe event and the the rep will talk your ear off. Like it's, it's great. It's a bonding experience with an employee of McAuliffe and you get to talk about your favorite McAuliffe cigars. So I can't, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want to, to be part of the McAuliffe ambassador program. The thing I'm most proud about in the ambassador program is that it's not just like an online forum, but it really crosses over into real life. Like you're saying in the brick and mortar stores. And you know, that's our design goal. We want to have a platform where we can talk and share pictures and discuss things, but we also want it to be real and help bring and connect people together. And we feel like in times like this with the coronavirus, it just gives us more opportunity to spend time with the ambassador community and do special things for them. So uh, it's a difficult time for us all, but we're excited about what we can do together. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. I think it is a, a great uh, mix of online and, and real life, and it gives you a chance to interact with others and, and share the passion that you have, not just for, for the tobacco leaf, but for McAuliffe cigars in general. So uh, I, I, I love it. I think it's great. The last, the last promise you have to consumers is you'll emphasize the role of uh, first responders and military uh, and the role they play in protecting the freedoms we enjoy daily through our philanthropic efforts, which I think is just fantastic that, that you're doing that. James, you know, when we wrote this, um, we're, we're, we support our military and first responders in all of our businesses, whether it's our restaurant businesses. I mean, that, that's just part of who we are. So for us, that was an easy decision. I think that um, if, I, if I had a way to edit it just a little, especially what I'm seeing in America right now, um, I would make truck drivers part of that first responder group. Thank God they're out there moving products around that we need as a country. So I, I just want to say thank you to that group of people because uh, in our mind, they're part of the first responders. Maybe they're not naturally categorized there, but, but we sure appreciate the work they're doing to make sure all of us have the goods that we need for our, for our households and homes and our health. No, that's a, that's a very good point. Without them, like everything stops, everything, no food, uh, no goods, nothing like it's, it, it, it would absolutely come to a grinding halt. So you're right. Thank you to our, to our truck drivers as well. They're certainly on the front lines right now. So the last, the last thing is the cigar industry and the, the, the promises that you made to the cigar industry. And what you said was there are three points here. To grow our investment in social media, podcasts, and other next-generation media to create new premium cigar smokers. In addition to our continued support of lobbying, legislating, and litigating industry regulations, we offer an additional path. PredX, the Predicate Exchange, is a business licensing, uh, licensing solution enabling compliance and innovation for the Predicate Challenge. 
and then continued investment in the well-being of our artisans and their families in Nicaragua. So I want to take each one of these one one by one. Uh, I think the easiest one would be the first one to grow uh, the investment in social media, podcasts, and other next generation media. So we just talked about how you're using Facebook to to really interact with with uh, the ambassadors and and so I think that covers the next generation media. So let me add a point to that. Sure. Part of part of the spirit behind that. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is that we get to make investments. Um, social media podcasts, next generation media. We want to go to places that aren't just the tobacco trade press. We really want to get out and create new premium cigar smokers. And that may, you know, I have one company that I'm working with now that they, uh, they build extremely high-end engines for race cars. We're working with him and his business to do some marketing together because it turns out the guys who drive those cars and like to go to those events and the women who are, who are with them and sometimes participating, they love cigars. So we want to use our tools and platforms and partnerships to grow the amount of cigar smokers. Of course, we want them to choose McAuliffe as their favorite, but it's just important as an industry that we continue to grow the adults who smoke premium cigars. Yeah, and I think by doing that, you ensure, not just for yourself, but that that the cigar smoking as a whole, the, the love of the leaf will continue on to the next generation of, of cigar smokers. We don't want to be a parasite to this great industry that was built before we became part of it. We want to help it grow for everybody. And so that's why we make this commitment about using our marketing and investment to grow the industry. Of course, we want them to choose Mercalf as their first choice, but we know that without the people who went before us and all the other companies, that it w- we wouldn't have this opportunity. And so we're going we're gonna to help generate new smokers for the whole industry. So I, I think that's a good segue here where I'm going to deviate just a little bit from, from the cigar industry uh, talking points on your on the open letter. And I, 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 <laughs> that attitude that you just described is the attitude that I have found with most boutique cigar companies doesn't matter their size. And you and I talked last week about what is boutique, what, what is boutique to you? What is boutique to me? What is boutique to the industry? And I think it's, it's a little of a, uh, it's a very esoteric kind of thing. It's very ethereal. Boutique means th- different things to different people. But for me, it's that attitude. It's the attitude that the rising tide raises all ships and anything that you can do to not only better yourself, but better everyone in the industry. It's good for everyone. And it's that consistency to, uh, of excellence, that consistency to, uh, of product that you want to make the best cigar every time it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not about volume. It's about quality. I, I think that you're spot on. Let me just tell you how I think about boutique and, and I, I'm one man's opinion. I'm, I like to have mental models so that I can, try to make sense of, of an industry. I've heard boutique described as it's in the heart and mind of the company. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that's what you're describing in terms of the, the pursuit of flavors and quality and excellence. Um, I think that definition works in terms of like the, the emotional spirit of what boutique means. Um, I see the world through a business lens because that's what I've done my entire adult life. And I kind of, I kind of look at it, in a couple perspectives. I think that 
there's certainly multinational corporate tobacco, you know, general, Altidus. And the reason that I start there is they have a very different set of strategies than we would be implementing in Macau Cigars. They had the cash, the capital, the market share. Um, it's just a different role in their business strategy. And sometimes that puts us at conflict. And that's okay. So no problem with it. It's just, it's important to know that we have a different way of looking at the world and strategies we're going to execute. And then there's a kind of a second set of family-owned cigar companies, you know, Fuentes, Padrones, uh, Padermo. And uh, through their just hard work over 30, 40, 50 years, they have built some incredible businesses that we admire. But they get some of the benefits that the, the corporately owned ones get because they earned it. And they had the shelf space and, you know, they're very well run. I don't think that they have the same strategic conflict that we may have with the, the corporate tobacco companies. I don't think this, there's conflict there. But um, they don't have some of the same needs that we have. You know, the FDA predicate requirements, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that's very pressing for us as leaders of boutique companies. So this large, well-established family ones. And then I think about boutique companies kind of as a second category. And that could range from somebody who's just like this passionate human being who loves rolling and blending something, you know, and their entire annual run may be, you know, 10,000 cigars and they're cherished, cherished and loved. Um, that's boutique for sure. You know, at Macau Cigars, we're in a little different position since we have 45 Viatolas. Um, we're not an established family business uh, because we're, we're a new entrant, but um, we're also fortunate to have some scale behind us and own our own factory. So for me, boutique ranges from that person who, who just has the passion and drive and, you know, they may live in their car and they're, you know, they built their first 5,000 sticks. You know, it's these amazing startup stories. Um, we're a little different than that. But we're definitely not the first two categories that I talked about. I don't know if that resonates with you or not. Oh, absolutely. No, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think that that, I think that is a, a really good way to, to look at what boutique is. And I know it's different for everybody and everybody. It's very, it's a subjective thing. I think, I don't think there's any like hard, hard set limits out there on like what is boutique and what is not boutique. Criteria that I kind of laid out means that as boutique people, we have the same set of shared problems. <laughs> and the established family and then the multinationals, they have different problems. <laughs> but as boutique, we, we have a lot of bonding that we can do on a certain set of problems. And, uh, and that's where we want to help as Macau. You know, we don't have the, the code cracked, but we do think we have some experiences and solutions that we can bring to the table. Well, let's talk about one of those solutions that you're bringing to the table in, in PredX. Everyone in the cigar uh, world knows, both cigar community, cigar uh, industry, that the FDA is trying to make some changes that probably aren't going to be the best for the, for the industry and for consumers. Tell us a little bit about Predicate Exchange uh, or, or PredX and what it is you guys are doing to give cigar makers uh, a solution to this problem. Yeah, thank you. So I'm going to lay out a couple terms because if you're not dealing with it daily like I do, you may not be familiar. So give me just, I'm going to take a minute and I appreciate people to, to understand some of the terms. So the, 
the FDA is now responsible for regulating the premium cigar industry. And in their uh, laws and written guidelines, um, if a product wasn't on the market in 2007, um, if it's before 2007, it's called a grandfathered product and you can continue to sell it. If your product came into existence after 2007, you can file what's called a substantial equivalent and show that it's uh, equivalent, meaning wrapper, binder, filler, the same Viatola, the same box count, as to something that was already on the market in 2007, or there's a third pathway called a new product. New product is a, is a pathway where it may cost up to a quarter million dollars per cigar that you take through it. Um, it's not well understood. The FDA is still developing it. So as a, a leader of a manufacturing company in the business, we're really focused on grandfathered products, which are called predicates, or substantial equivalents, which are uh, products that are developed off of the predicates. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. So what the cigar industry has done, three different organizations have led the lobbying, legislating, and litigating. And that's PCA, CRA, and CAA. And uh, somewhat coordinated, somewhat dysfunctional. Um, I'm not an expert in any of that. I wasn't there when they did it. Um, but they're the ones who've been fighting the battle for us as cigar smokers and manufacturers. The unfortunate thing is uh, they haven't won outright a statement, for example, where you could say a premium cigar is X and X is not regulated by the FDA. That's the ideal solution. Right. Um, the reality is we're going to be regulated and everybody, we're supposed to have our, our predicates and substantial equivalents filed in May. Um, I think that there may be a, a deadline adjustment with the uh, coronavirus. We don't know. We're working through this like everybody else. Um, but we have to file our product. And if we don't have our product filed properly, then it can be called contraband and uh, retailers can be forced to take it off their shelves. So it's certainly a reality that's new to the tobacco industry, premium cigars to be regulated this way um, with a regulator. You know, you have a choice. You can fight it, you can ignore it, or you can uh, try to comply in a very positive way. Um, well, well, our point of view at McAuliffe Cigars, because we do come from different industries, Al McAuliffe is out of auto. I come out of high tech. We both come from industries which grew very fast, and as they grew, they became regulated. And so we've already had the bumps and bruises of fighting with our regulators. Yes, you want to push back in a constructive manner. But uh, once an industry reaches a certain point and becomes regulated, you need to adopt your business practices to say, how do I achieve great compliance of the regulations, but in a way that allows me to focus on innovation and serving my customers? Right. That's the sweet spot. That's what we're offering kind of as a big idea called PredX. So as a business leader today and as a manufacturer, if I want to build a new cigar, I have to have a predicate so that I can file a substantial equivalent. If I don't have a predicate, I'm going to have to license. This is what we understand today. We understand that we'll have to license a predicate from somebody, which means we have to go negotiate with them. Um, sometimes that's not a strong negotiating stance when you need something and there's only one person that can provide it. And then I would file the substantial equivalent and then the FDA would approve it. Right. What we're suggesting is a very different point of view. We're suggesting that it's the advantage of manufacturers to collaborate 
and to take their predicates, which is what you get back from the FDA, and pool them together in a nonprofit so that if there is, I don't do anything with Pennsylvania Broadleaf, for example, at McAuliffe. We don't have a cigar with that in it. If I wanted to consider our ambassadors there, hey, we want this new cigar, we want it to have Pennsylvania Broadleaf, I would have to go find a predicate from somebody else and license it from them. What our goal with predicate exchange is, is to have manufacturers put into this nonprofit that we become members of their predicates so that all I have to do is look it up in a database and go, oh, that one matches. And then I can use that license royalty free to go build my cigar. And the immediate question is, does this hurt manufacturers or does it help them? And it's my experience that when you have a new big idea, people are scared about pooling resources. Now, I, I was at Microsoft and Microsoft and Google were suing each other. And there finally became a point where, where we realized as companies, this is not a strategy that helps our customers on either side. And let's just cross license these damn patents to each other so we can keep running our business. That's like the most simple version. But what we would like to do, and like high tech has done in the auto, and the aviation, and the petroleum, they have pools of patents. And what we're suggesting is let's build this pool of predicates so that as a manufacturer, when I'm ready to blend a new stick, it's not the recipe. You know, people get confused. If you know the wrapper, the binder, and the filler, that's very different than how you finesse the tobacco that you have to do every year to adjust your blends based on what nature gave you. So it would allow us to achieve the compliance with the FDA. It allows companies to protect their proprietary, you know, specific blend recipes. And it allows for innovation because now if I want to do a Pennsylvania Broadleaf, if, if they're a member of PredX and that predicate's already there, then I just pick it up and I go build the cigar. So does that make sense? Have I, have yeah. I done a decent job explaining? <laughs> no, absolutely. You have. I think that that, that clears it up completely for me and, and hopefully for the listeners as how it, how it is set up to work. The, I think there's a lot of things up in the air with COVID-19 and how that's going to push things back and, and what the world's going to look like after that. Cause I think, I honestly think that this is going to change a lot of things, but it, it brings me to maybe my last question for you, Dan. And I, I ask this of everybody because right now in the cigar industry, there seems to be a lot of, uh, infighting and political uh, maneuverings amongst some of the companies. Uh, on on uh, <laughs> and I honestly uh, I'm at a loss because it's it, it's not just it's not just cigar manufacturers. It's also some of the lobbyists, and there's this tug of war. It seems like between everybody, and there's there's this side, and there's this side, and there's that side, and everyone has their own their own point of view and their own reasons why they think they're right. At what point does the cigar industry need to come together and realize that if they don't come together, that they're going to lose this fight to the FDA and the regulation is going to put a lot of people out of business. And a lot of those people are going to be like we talked about the boutique guys because they're not going to be able to afford to do some of the things that the FDA regulations are going to make them do. So are we at that point yet where if we if we don't start coming together as an industry, as a community, uh, and really push back against some of this stuff that it, it, are we too late or what do we need to do? Because I, I honestly feel like you guys are 
shaking things up. Like I said, changing the status quo. And I think that's a good thing for the industry. How do we get everybody to come together and kind of put all of this other BS aside and say, we've got to do what's right for the industry and we have to do what's right for the consumer. You know, that's certainly at the heart of how do you overcome a great challenge. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple examples about how I think about things. Um, I'm pretty not into politic, political solutions. I find them very hard to execute on, and there's always big winners and big losers. So let me, let me just throw out a couple data points. I actually don't find the cigar industry any more dysfunctional than any other industry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I should be happy about that or not. <laughs> you know, in high tech, we've got a lot of brats with big egos who do things, and, you know, and sometimes it gets really nasty. You know, it's just that's the industry I come from. You know, you've got Facebook and Google and Microsoft and Amazon all in competing lawsuits. But then when it came to the problem of child pornography, we all collaborated at the, the developer level and built technologies to help law enforcement shut down child pornography. So in my mind, it's actually just really normal to both be competing and collaborating at the same time. And in the model that, that I shared, how I think about the industry, you know, I'm pretty clear that, you know, multinational tobacco have a set of agendas. The family, big established, they earn their, their spots. You know, they have egos and they have agendas. And, and then boutiques, we certainly share a lot of common problems. Um, so I, I, I don't find it um, as dysfunctional as some might. I think that what puts a lot of pressure on it is people hear about FDA regulation Will it stop smoking? To me, it's just insanity that, you know, marijuana smoking is becoming more prevalent than cigar smoking. I'm not making a statement on either side, but it's just like non-rational. Right. No, for <laughs> that, sure. You know, but that's reality. And so I try to live in reality um, and I go, okay, so now I know this is a non-rational solution that we're working through. Um, if you would have told me one week ago that all of a sudden restaurants could could deliver packaged liquor to your home, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. That's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. You know, last night I got a pizza and a bottle of wine delivered to my house. So, <laughs> you know, um, so we're as dysfunctional as anybody else. Everybody has their own agenda. Uh, things can change in, in a seven-day period like we'd never unexpect. That's where as a business leader, I, I try to develop solutions that I can collaborate with other business leaders where we can control our destiny. I'm just going to accept that there's going to be regulation, you know? So yeah. now I want to be as positive a relationship as I can have with the regulator that's going to be regulating me to try to get to something that has some common sense to it. Um, they're going to learn at the FDA some things. I don't think, you know, they're, they're used to formulas and medical devices that are very precise. They're not accustomed to the problem of a, a product that grows out in the open air and every year is different. But yet, as manufacturers, we make them taste the same every year. So there's going to be learning on both sides. And as a business leader, I just want to collaborate with people who have, who have the same problems I have, and we can band together to build solutions that work for us. Now, maybe that's naive. It's just very pragmatic approach. No, I think that's a great way to look at it. I wish more people would look at it that way. 
Uh, it's okay to look at things from a different perspective, but at the end of the day, you've got to come together and find some common ground. And you realizing that you have to work with different people with different agendas and, and being pragmatic, pragmatic about it is the best approach in my opinion. So I, I can appreciate that. I'll, I'll give you, I, I heard a great interview the other day with uh, Glenn Wolfson of Drew Estate, you know, and he's a CEO that was brought in there um, outside of the tobacco industry to work in a very passionate company. And, you know, in their portfolio, they have a tremendous amount of flavored products. And I, I, we don't have flavored products at McAuliffe, but I, I agree with Glenn that it's irrational to say that something that may have uh, a coffee that was infused or whatever it is, that that can't be a premium cigar. I know a lot of adults who that's where they started their cigar journey. I know some people who still enjoy a flavor infused cigar. It's not my personal choice, but I don't want to do battle with Glenn and Drew Estate over that issue. I agree. It should get the same exemption that I get with my premium cigars. And I think that a lot of people draw these lines that maybe they're thinking about only themselves versus where we are as an industry. But um, I think we all benefit from the fact that there are some flavored cigars and that's where people get introduced to them and they become future Macaw smokers or Davidoff smokers or Drew Estate smokers. So there's a lot of learning to do. Uh, but, but I think if we can focus on how to solve it as business leaders in a constructive way, um, that, that's a good thing. And that's certainly going to be our point of view and how we're going to walk this walk. You know, we want to work with people who have shared problems and see if we can't solve it together. Uh, that brings me to, I, this will be my, I, I have two last questions. I, I promise this is it. Where do you see McAuliffe cigars in 10 years? like I wrote in the letter. I want to be known as a top 10 partner for every retailer that we work with. Um, that's not a number of stores. That's not a number of sticks. That's not a certain amount of money. Um, we want to be able to have our products in the hands of people who love our traditional approach that we're taking. We want to be able to provide from a $4 product to a $42 product. And at any price point, people go, wow, that was great value. That was delicious. And, um, you know, we're family owned. So, you know, it's not about a certain size. It's important for us to be profitable because that allows us to do interesting and some more audacious and fun things. And so, you know, over the next 10 years, if, if we're the top, if we're in the top 10 people that B&Ms like to work with, everything else will work out. It's a great way to look at it. Last question. Where do you see the industry in 10 years? I don't have an answer to that. I, b I believe certainly that it'll still be here. We're going to be smoking great premium cigars. I think there will be uh, a creative destruction that will take place and some companies will go away and some new companies will emerge. That's what happens every day in our system. Um, I think it'll be exaggerated because, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, ballpoint pens. I don't have an emotional connection with the BIC that I'm writing with right now. I do with my cigars because of the memories I have. Absolutely. So, I think that we're a little more emotionally charged about it than it would be in some other industries, but I think that we're going to go through the exact same cycles. Uh, I, I just, I'm highly confident that these things will work out and that, you know, at McAuliffe, we want to make sure that we have new people coming in the industry. We'd like to have more women in the cigar industry. The whiskey 
groups. They did a great job of bringing women in to drink whiskey. And we certainly want to have, to have you know, more married couples or dating couples who get to smoke and enjoy our products together. I would too, starting with my own. Dan Thompson, uh, president of McAllister Cigars. Again, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to talk about McAllister Cigars and all the the great things that you guys are doing, not only uh, for your business, but for your retail partners, your consumers, and the industry uh, at whole. Uh, I I really appreciate it, especially during these weird times we're in right now. Hey, James, uh, we're so happy to be part of the Simply Stogies and, and the product that you're building for your audience. Um, you know, you've got a great outlook and we're excited about your future too. So you don't hesitate. If there's anything we can ever do to help you, um, you can count on us. And we greatly appreciate the time that we've had today. I, I appreciate it, uh, Dan. I really do. That that means a lot. Uh, everybody, McAllisterCigars.com. Check it out. Uh, their ambassador program. Join it. Then join their Facebook group. I'm telling you, you're stuck at home. You're sell, uh, social distancing. You're quarantined. They've got some great content coming up. They've had some great content in the past. You can go through and look at it. They do watch parties. You can interact with Dan uh, on Facebook doc, uh, uh, on their Facebook group. You can interact with with their sales staff. Uh, it's really a lot of fun that they're having over there and they're doing it for you guys. So again, Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Join me next week when I will be, or not next week, but next time as I'm back to my biweekly schedule, I think, uh, where I review the, uh, McAuliffe to be named Maduro. Uh, so look forward to that. And until then, friends stay smoky. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. <laughs>